The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. For today's week trending, we're joined by Dave Hanratty, host of the No Encore podcast, and also by Mairead Cleary, news reporter here with Barrett Media. So, let's start with the position which was once the most eagerly sought in Irish television to be the presenter of The Late Late Show. And now it seems that most of the main contenders, or at least as the bookies saw it and some other parts of the media, that they don't want the job. Because, Maria, at this stage, how many women who were mentioned as likely contenders have ruled themselves out. It's really dwindled. You know, we've Claire Byrne, who was a front runner, the one on everyone's lips at the time this announcement came. She's decided not to go for it. She kind of said it was for family reasons. And now we have Sarah McInerney, who was second on everyone's mind, I think, um, who's pulled out and saying basically she's too much of a political nerd and is excited to to focus on current affairs instead of going down, I suppose, the more entertainment route. Maria, how could you have forgotten the very first woman to pull out of the race? Queen Miriam. I forgot all about <laughs> it. One idol. Yes, she's pulled out. <laughs> she was one of the first, I suppose, to excuse herself from the race. So, I mean, the, the number of people, and women in particular, is dwindling. Angela Scanlon is still in the mix. Jen Jennifer Zamparelli is still in the mix. Um, but aside from that, it's a really small fraction. OK, and what do you think is required to be the presenter of The Late Late Show? Because it's a very wide-ranging programme. Absolutely. There's not for everyone. I mean, you watch The Late Late, Toy, the Late Late Show in general, I suppose. And firstly, you could be talking to Daniel O'Donnell. The next segment could be a cervical cancer survivor. The next segment could be a Eurovision hopeful. It is so broad that I think it takes a very special person to be able to go from light to dark and in between. And then, of course, the juggernaut that is the Late Late Toy Show. That's only one edition in the entire year. It's the iconic. It's one of the most watched shows of the year. People talk about it for weeks. There's countdowns on. People buy special jammies. Um, kids stay up late. It is a real paler stone, I think, of Irish pop culture. And I think it takes a showman, a showwoman to carry that show. And it's not always... You have it or you don't when it comes to those kind of spectacular performances. See, Dave Hanratty, once the Late Late Show itself was iconic, now it seems that just one episode of the year at the Toy Show is what's <laughs> iconic. It tends to be the highest rated television programme of the year, every year. It seems to be, at least from the figures that are released anyway. So, And I actually, I did find myself wondering that whoever took this job, would they actually draft Ryan Turbidy back in for one night a year? He because, said he wouldn't do that. I mean, to give him credit, he's very good at the Toy Show. Like his his level of kind of man- energy when he hosts that thing is what's required for it. It is an event uh, and something that has become very, very popular even on Twitter and so on. So uh, whoever comes into the show, and I agree with what was said, like the the tonal whiplash that you can get when watching an average episode of The Late Late Show is crazy because there's just so much to cover. Sports, music, entertainment, film, uh, someone with a tragic personal story. And like, you know, not to diminish those because there are people out there with incredible stories. And to have that platform on a Friday night on national television is a good thing. But I do find myself wondering, uh, in the wake of all these kind of pullouts of the race, uh, is this something of a poison chalice? Like, has this actually become a job that people do not want? Because that is quite surprising. Tuberty himself has spoken about his own kind of struggles with it in terms of getting abuse. Sometimes in public, people will approach him according to what he's had to say about it. I also wonder if there's an element of... This will put me in the firing line from a wage point of view. The amount of money I make, I'll, I'll be scrutinised on that. People I work with might turn against me. The general public seem to watch the show and often have very, very negative things to say about it, despite how enduring it is. And I do think that it's worth having the show on the air. But I just wonder if people are like, no, no, thanks. Not for me. Yeah, Poison Chalice perhaps made at this stage. Is it particularly in the era of negative comments on social media? 
Yeah, I think that's kind of a sad uh, state of affairs if it is a poison chalice. It is, you know, our national broadcaster. It's the flagship show of that. And I think, you know, where's the ambition? Of course, there is going to be hatred online. There are people who hate watch it, I do believe. They just watch it to give out on Twitter. Um, But I do think that... You know, this is a, such a massive opportunity. Where is the drive, the ambition for people and for presenters? And I'm sure it's there, but I'm sure they have to keep the, their mouths shut for now to grab it with both hands and turn it into your own kind of programme. There's another listener says, don't forget the Valentine night special. It takes yeah. a strong person to deal with all of the boozy suggestions. <laughs> I suppose you could throw in the country and western special as well there. And the Eurovision course, that's a big part of it too. I mean, they have these kind of theme nights. The Valentine's one was interesting because I think they've toned that down a little bit after a particularly chaotic event in recent years. But look, the late late gets a lot of stick, but I do think that we should have it. I think that it has a valuable But does maybe need to be different? And could it be maybe RT are ahead of us all in this and maybe a lot of the speculation as to who was getting the job was wrong in that there may be a redefined late late show on the way and a person with a more narrow skill set, but a deeper skill set will actually get it maybe for an entertainment programme. I do wonder what that looks like. And I think the show as well can sometimes, you know, it is it is hard in Ireland, you know, like to get A-list guests. Sometimes you got to wonder, like, do we get do we get left out of the conversation sometimes, perhaps unfairly? Um, what would a strip back late late look like, look like, though, is the question. I mean, I think part of the reason why it is what it is, is because of how bizarre it can be and how broad ranging that kind of. Yeah, I mean, like it's. Maybe it's. A, I was going to say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But maybe, maybe there are, uh, there is a way to revamp it. I mean, I think that that would be a very, very interesting thing for the, even the public to weigh in on. What do they actually want from this show? I think a good suggestion would be a roadshow element to the late late. Now, sometimes they do take it out of the studios in Donnybrook, but bring it a, a regular thing that you know. This week we're broadcasting from Letterkenny. This week we're broadcasting from Kilkenny. You know, stretch it out. I think that'll pull people in. Interest. There'll be a different audience every night, different guests, and you could do maybe you know, sections of reports from the town um, that might be pre-recorded, slotted in. Like there's totally, it's because it's so undefined that you could go anywhere. There's any direction you go with the Late Late. You're in your 20s. Do you ever watch it other than Toy Show Night and do your friends watch it? <laughs> um, I don't watch it regularly and I would have to say I probably only watch it when I'm at home in Riscommon. Um, so I might flick it on to see who's in it. I'm always interested to see who's up um, and I do enjoy the special kind of interest ones. You know, we had some specials on The Troubles, um, you know, specials about Vicky Phelan. Those ones I do tune into. Um, but I would say that for the weekly in and out, I wouldn't be a loyal watcher, no. Dave is a man in his 30s. Do you watch it on a Friday night? I am, in fact, a man in his 30s. Thank you for reminding the nation. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I used to. I, I watched it a lot during the, uh, the lockdowns, during the pandemic. It was my escapist entertainment on a Friday night for quite some time. You weren't uh, hate-tweeting during it, were you? I would never do such a thing. <laughs> but I, I do tune in out of morbid curiosity sometimes, and I also do check out the lineup when it comes out every week, because I'm curious to see just who's on this kind of wild barrage of people. And it's comforting. You know, it's your Friday evening cup of tea. You know it's So there's coming. still a place for it, you think? I believe so. Yeah, I do think so. Okay. Is there a place for the British Royal Coronation on RT schedule tomorrow morning, Dave? Uh, Leo Varadkar says there is. Yeah, he's been I'm of... asking you, not Leo Varadkar. <laughs> well, I'm not going to tune in, but I mean, it's a global event. I can understand why people would tune in. And again, we're back to this thing of like, whether it's a royal wedding or in this case, a coronation, there are people who tune in. Maybe they do it privately, pull the curtains closed. I don't know. But like, there are some people who 
genuinely are attracted to the bizarre pageantry of the British royal family. I'm not one of them. I do like that in this kind of ongoing row, though, every time I see this headline of the amount of coverage it's getting, it seems to go up an error. Like, they just keep adding on errors, more in line with the public's kind of outrage towards this. Um, it's a global event. You know, it's international. There will be stars there, But it's also available to watch on BBC and Sky and various other places. Why does RT need to be showing something that is easily accessible by everybody? I guess it's going to get ratings. I mean, I can totally appreciate the standpoint of Ireland should abstain from this kind of thing. You know, we should be proud of our own country and we should acknowledge the history, the difficult history we've had with our neighbours across the water. But I don't know. I mean, like that's a head programmer's decision and I think people will tune in. This will get eyes. Mairead, will you be watching? I won't um, be watching, not out of any major decision. I just generally don't watch television on a Saturday afternoon. Um, but I will say, like you, like the point you made, you can watch it anywhere. I would argue that watching it on a British broadcaster can be a little bit sickening. It can be full of plumas and, you know, all of the titles and, you know, it, it can be a hard watch sometimes for Irish viewers. So at least if it's an, an Irish presenter, an Irish broadcaster... You know, it's going to be taken with maybe a pinch of salt or at least so you mean less you're suggesting of the, the a, a sort of a Graham Norton, Marty Whelan approach to your yeah, vision absolutely. should be taken to the coronation coverage. Well, it's just a suggestion. <laughs> I think it might be easier to swallow for the people who say they don't want to watch it. Unlike that, oh, there look, are there's thousands. Liz Trust. She was just fired after 45 days as Prime Minister. But it's I a have a bit of a laugh. Yeah, exactly. And it's a difference of saying, oh, here comes Sir Elton John knighted by X, Y or Z. We have, here's Elton John. He is finishing up his farewell tour. You know, it's a different tone and I do think it's a global event and maybe people might appreciate but watching it from an Irish angle. that we were talking about earlier when we had our piece with Mick Wright and Ruth W. Edwards that there's going to be a, an ask of the audience, not just in West, Westminster Abbey, but in or watching on television from their sofas to pledge an oath of allegiance. I mean, what's an Irish audience supposed to do? Is it going to be a bit like, you know, when I'm celebrity on it and they have these captions, <laughs> you know, voting from the Republic of Ireland is not allowed or you can't enter the competition. Are we going to have to have a caption up on RT saying uh, swearing an oath of allegiance from your sofa does not make you a British subject? Well, I'm sure they brought extensive coverage into the Pope's funeral. Um, no one had to get up and say a Catholic prayer when they watched that. So I would argue, I mean, you still have free will. <laughs> I think it's absolutely, uh, that element of it is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, like, like that turns into very, very weird draconian Orwellian stuff. And I guess some people will participate, but surely nobody on, on no. in this part of the world is going to do that. Well, I want to go back and play something from the archives from 1981, long before either of you were born, when at a time of difficult political interaction between Ireland and Britain, indeed, Within months of the death of the first hunger striker, Bobby Sands, RTE decided that it was going to show live coverage of the marriage of Prince Charles and Diana Spencer. It's very bad. Everybody's going at the telly. Just as the flower seller said, according to the ESB's figures, the national load was abnormally up 8% around 10 o'clock, the equivalent of 180,000 TV sets going on. But not much different for a Wednesday, said the banks. Still some business for some. The official city business report is of a pretty slack morning. Empty, said one of the big stores. Like a Sunday, said the taxi drivers. Trade down 50%. And a touch of irony here with wedding bells ringing elsewhere. Young couples looking for wedding rings? Not, not this morning. morning. <laughs> no, definitely not. No. Probably all looking at television. Maybe in the afternoon now things will pick up. So we were all secret wall watchers even then. Apparently. <laughs> 
I, I like the regal tone in that one. It was it felt quite fitting. But I mean, again, different time, right? A lot less options, a lot less distractions. And I get it. Some people will tune in out of genuine curiosity to see this kind of weird car crash across the ocean, across the, the pond, I should say. But also, I think, to use a word that's been used already, like, there'll be people hate watching this. There will be people tuning in just to be mad and just to kind of have a weird kind of sideways glance at it. Okay, and then let's just play a little bit of something very strange from GB News. Historian David Starkey claiming that the British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has been absent from the lead-up to the coronation celebrations. Invisible, and I think one of the reasons that I think a lot has gone wrong, for example, why Parliament has not been properly represented at, at the coronation of a parliamentary monarchy is because the government isn't interested, is not interested in the Constitution. You have a Prime Minister, I think a man of immense talent of extraordinary skill, but really not fully grounded in our culture. Now, I know that's a difficult and controversial thing to say, but I think it's true. And, and again, this coronation is going to highlight far too much, I think, our differences. Not fully grounded in our culture, comment about their prime minister as an explanation as to why it is the British government doesn't seem massively enthusiastic about this coronation is paying for. Maria, what do you make of that? I think it's blatantly racist. I think we all know what he's insinuating when he says that. Um, extremely unfair comment. I'm no fan of Rishi Sunak um, by any manner or means. But if anything, he is exactly the example of what British culture is. He is a son of an immigrant. He you know, went to private school. He, he is, lived and was raised um and an English society. I really think he probably, he, he's, you know, he's more a representative of the English culture than Charles. Well, as it happens, we were hearing earlier from Mick Wright making the point that this current royal family is effectively a German-Greek combination, which put together at the start of the 20th century, which at least shows that there is a degree of tolerance in Britain for immigrants. I mean, there's all kinds of contradictions here. And also, I should say as well, I mean, like, it's no surprise that a 78-year-old white male who is a contributor to GB News is, in fact, a hissing racist. But, I mean, that's unfortunately where this comes from. Uh, I think that there's so many things you can knock Rishi Sunak for and, you know, his predecessors as well. It's been a horrendous time for the British prime ministership. But, like, where he comes from, what he looks like, who he is, these are not reasons. These are not valid. And there's no transparency. Like, like, this is so see-through. There is Like, it's just so obvious what is really being said. And to try and couch in like, you know, praising him in one sentence and then you know going in for the juggler in the other. And again, this guy has a history of racist remarks as well, which he's tried to dodge, but they're clear for what they are. And as ever, says so much more about this person than that person. Okay, more people seem to be put out by the fact that RT isn't showing Cork and Tipperary in the hurling tomorrow night. Uh, but will show the coronation. And they say they pay, they pay their TV licence to see the hurling, not the British coronation. Now, there's a story behind that. It's GA Go that it is available on if you pay a season ticket. And we are going to have this issue with lots of games clashing with each other in the truncated GA season. But it is an interesting point. More in the week trending with Dave Hanratty and Murray Cleary when we come back. Mairead Cleary from our newsroom and Dave Hanratty, the host of the Not Encore podcast, are with us for the week trending. And back to the Late Late Show, uh, Dave, because I believe Ed Sheeran is on it tonight. Uh, in what I think may be a pre-recorded section, judging by some of the photographs that have come out. 
Uh, well, he's had a very busy week. Uh, you know, he's just out of court following yet another high-profile legal battle. I put out a new album today. He's all over the news. Um, I, I'd imagine that interview was probably shot some time ago, yeah. Um, but interesting to see, though, how people take to this news, though, the fact that he is, in fact, been decreed to not have plagiarised Marvin Gaye, which was kind of the ongoing thing. Uh, he did say at one stage if he lost this case, he would quit music forever, which, I mean, not... Which legal. could have left a big hole in the late late show tonight. <laughs> yeah, big time. Not <laughs> Not legally binding, I wouldn't imagine. And again, like, you know, that, that's the kind of headline that writes itself. And, you you know, you conjure up a 12 angry men situation where you're like, well, I will do everything I can to stop this man. But no, I joke, I jest. Ed's not so bad after all. And in fairness, if he lost this trial, it would set a horrific high profile precedent for musicians to be challenged on basic compositions and chord progressions and really kind of nitty gritty stuff that would just negate the possibility of original creations for an awful lot of people. So this is actually a win for not just Ed Sheeran, but for music, I think. I saw Murray as well, the previous view of what's going on the Late Late Show tonight is that he seems to be a little bit sensitive to the type of criticism that he gets about the quality of his music but says, you know, every time he's given he's told his album isn't as good as the last one but yet the last album had been given out about it's been bad. Yeah, it's a funny thing. He's very good at an earworm. I like a bit of Ed Sheeran and I'm probably one of those people who says, oh, I love his old stuff and his new stuff kind of washes over me. Um, he's good at making hits. He's good at making earworms that will get radio played. They'll be stuck in people's heads. Um, they'll be played in background on, on television um, and they become viral on TikTok. So he's good at, at the formula, I suppose. And he obviously is good at what he does. Um, but I mean, people are always looking for the purest when he was this, you know, young Wonder Boy who just had his guitar and a loop pedal and made songs that way. I suppose people love that story and they love that side to him. I do think though, when you sit down and listen to his album, sometimes there's actually crackers within the album, but the ones that go out as singles and the ones that get radio play are the ones that are the, the cheesy hits that, that just do well. How do you rate him, Dave, as a music critic? Uh, I've reviewed every one of his albums to date and I've seen him live and I've been fairly unimpressed on a critical level each time. But he definitely has a few bangers here and there for what he does. It is a bit middle of the road and he's definitely guilty for uh, ushering in a wave of sad boy imitators for the last 10 or 12 years, which is a problem. And, you know, he will pay for those crimes someday, I hope. However, he seems like a nice enough lad. There's a new documentary about him which he comes across very, very humane and quite nice. I find it weird that he has any kind of problem, though, with critics because he is critic proof. He's one of the biggest commercial names out there. It really doesn't matter what the critics say about him. But he has taken a couple of pot shots recently. So he is definitely sensitive about his art, though. I mean, he does care about the songs that he writes. So I can understand a little bit of that. But also, you know, he's way too successful to be worrying about what people say about him in the odd negative review. Like, it doesn't matter. Listener says, don't forget the second highest number of foreign nationals living in Ireland are British. So the coronation is part of their heritage and their children. That is absolutely true. But also there are many British people, as we discussed at half past four, who are Republican and who regard themselves as citizens rather than being subjects of the crown. There's a significant number of British people who have no interest in what's taking place tomorrow in London and also resent having to pay for it amongst other things. Let's move on and uh, Mannix Flynn the councillor doesn't want Kin filmed on the streets of Dublin if there's a third series parade. Why not? Well he says basically that the the film kind of brings, or the film, the series is a gangster soap and it can inspire others to kind of copy the, the gangster lifestyle that's seen in it. Um, I don't know what to really make of this. He's actually asked Dublin City Council to refuse filming permits for the show. Um, and basically the show is all about this Kinsella family and um, that they are obviously a crime family. And, you know, he really does think that this is damaging the capital's image, you know, of 
Personally, I don't agree with him on this. I think that most people can respect that it's, it is fiction. You know, you look at New York or you look at London, there's Made in Chelsea, which focuses on the, the posh socialites of London. And then, of course, you might have Top Gun, which is the, the more grittier side of London. It's a city. There's lots of different sides. And I don't think any gangster is going to take their inspiration from an RTE programme. Yeah, when I saw this headline, I wondered what it was about. And I bet myself an imaginary town that it would have been glorifies gangland violence. And of course it was. So I'm a rich man now. Uh, Manic Flynn loves this kind of stuff, loves being a spoiler. And I think, you know, when it comes to this show, the show's OK. Like, like it's kind of the closest RTE has come to emulating the success of Love Hate. And this is a conversation that would have happened when Love Hate was on. I mean, I, I recently have been watching a bunch of Martin Scorsese movies and I didn't, I don't want to be a gangster after. After I watched Casino and Goodfellas and The Irishman, it looks like a pretty grim life, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, to try and take away shows that deal with this kind of thing is absolutely ridiculous. And I wonder if he's just trying to get some publicity for himself. Uh, Just one final one. Hollywood writers are on strike. So how might that affect the late night talk shows in the US, their version of what we've been talking about on Friday night in Ireland, Mairead? Yeah, so they're going to go on strike again about basically pay, especially in the age of streaming. And it's going to take some of the main... I suppose, shows off the air. There's Jimmy Kimmel's, Stephen Colbert, uh, and they make massive money or they, they at least cost the studios massive money and multi-million euro salaries and basically the writers aren't getting their fair dues. Um, it could see the end to it because they are only going to show repeats until the strike is over and already the audience figures for those shows has been slashed. It was around 6 million in 2007. Now we're down to like 1.5 million, 2 million per episode is your average viewership. So it is really going down and that this could stop it if that the studios realise they're more expensive than they're worth. Which brings us back, I suppose, to the Late Late Show, that this is an international trend that talk television is just changing dramatically, Dave. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it's a different era, it's a different time, but I will say on the strike overall, if I may, uh, pay these people what they're worth. It's not asking Mm -hmm. too much. And I must say, did you see, Matt, did you see the sign that someone had and it said, if you don't pay us what we're worth, we will spoil the ending of Succession, which of course has already been written. What? It's gotten real now, hasn't it? You know, so you don't want that to happen. (laughs) We don't don't want this. Just pay them what what they're asking and please don't spoil the ending of that show. I want to see it and not have it spoiled ahead of time. Okay, that's the really interesting succession, not the one that's led to the coronation tomorrow morning. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dave Hanratty and Marie Cleary for being with us here on The Last Word of Today FM. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.